Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, and my neck is kind of hurting from watching diesel prices go up and down these past few weeks. We're going to talk about that today, but we'll also talk about compliance with FMCSA safety rules. Our guest today is Nick Salas. He is the COO of Fleet Drive 360. Their software offering is designed for providing compliance reporting into FMCSA. We'll talk with him about what he's seen in compliance issues today. I'm not going to go over all the numbers on diesel markets. There's too many of them, and you'll just get confused and beaten down, kind of like that reference I made to my neck earlier about being whipsawed back and forth. If your only knowledge of diesel prices is what's at the pump, you have only seen one thing, up. The latest DOE EIA average retail diesel price, the one that's used for most fuel surcharges, was up more than $0.09 last week, and it's at the highest level it's been since last December. But the futures market, after screaming higher for weeks, has been up and down for several days. The diesel futures settlement Wednesday was about the same as it was the pro- not the prior Tuesday, not one day earlier, but six trading days earlier. But in the interim, prices on a daily basis rose ten cents one day and dropped almost ten cents each each of two separate days. Add it all together, and you've got wild swings and a price that basically didn't move overall for six trading days. And then prices soared Thursday, which is the day I'm recording this. As I speak, it's up about $0.12 a gallon for the day. We've discussed a lot of the factors driving the market over the past few weeks. What I'd say about the most recent moves are this. First, the big downward swings we saw for a few days in the diesel futures markets were driven, I believe, primarily by financial players in the market suddenly losing interest in diesel. Data shows that their positions on the CME Commodity Exchange were lower than prior weeks. And that made a lot of sense. Diesel relative to Brent was getting way out of whack with historic levels. And when that happens, the charts often tell the traders to sell. But the other thing that happened this week that may have set off the big upward move Thursday is that weekly inventory numbers, which came out on Wednesday, these are numbers for the U.S., showed that that inventories were once again down. The data also showed that refinery maintenance season appears to have begun, with operating rates at refineries declining, despite the fact that refining margins are so rich, especially if you're making diesel. But maintenance gets that schedule, but maintenance like that gets scheduled years in advance, and it needs to get done, and companies are not going to pull it back just because the margins are so profitable. We're probably looking at at least six weeks of reduced refinery operations before they might get back to normal. You can expect, though, at that point, the refineries will ramp up big time because the margins are still likely to be very strong. But that's a ways off. For now, refineries are not going to come to the rescue of the diesel market. One irony in the weekly report that I mentioned about those inventories can be found elsewhere. It's the U.S. output of crude oil. For the second week in a row, it was 12.9 million barrels per day. That is a post-pandemic high. Yes, there were some weeks in 2020 when it was over 13 million barrels per day, but the industry was not generating free cash flow back then. This is this is a 12.9 million barrel per day production level with a more sustainable model. There has been one prominent bearish voice in the market, and that's out of Citicorp. The head of commodity research there is Ed Morrison. He is a legend. He sees output re- rising the remainder of the year and next year from a lot of countries that aren't part of the OPEC Plus agreement. The U.S. is one of them. The list includes such places as Guyana and Brazil and Canada. 
City sees that production pressuring prices later this year, but there's obviously no sign of it yet, so you might need to wait. Okay, one piece of good news for diesel consumers, the physical market in Los Angeles took a sharp downturn this week. That could signal the end of retail prices out there that are now more than $1.50 a gallon over the national average. Let's note that historically, they tend to be about a dollar above. So look for a possible decline in prices out in Los Angeles and California. I think I've covered at least a fraction of the market. I wish I had better news for you, dear diesel consumers, but it's hard to see it right now. We're going to move on here now on Drilling Deep. How many things do a driver and a fleet operator need to comply with? Let's see. There's hours of service. There are compliance documents that are needed to meet the demands of compliance, safety, and accountability scores, known as CSA. There's drug testing. The list goes on. It's a very long one. Nick Salas is the COO of Fleet Drive 360, whose product is a software suite designed to be the core of a fleet's record tracking and reporting about compliance mandates. And he's here to talk with us today. So, Nick, uh, first thing I think to do is we should start by, why don't you talk about everything that Fleet Drive 360 does. Okay. Uh, so Fleet Drive really, it's an all-encompassing platform for FMCSA and DOT compliance. That's the the short little elevator pitch. But what it really does is it bridges the gap between the HR hiring and recruiting processes, the onboarding process, and then all of your ongoing file maintenance. So everything from driver fitness pursuant to 49 CFR 391 to your ongoing drug and alcohol program, to even some kind of simple but necessary record keeping metrics like an accident registry and making sure you're collecting the right information and you've got the right follow on processes. We've got workflows, we've got automation, there's alerts and notifications. It really it tells you when to pay attention to compliance and then guides you step by step through the process. And it all goes back to 95% of audits in 2022 resulted in a violation related to record keeping. 65% of those were driver hiring and onboarding. So you say 95%, 95% of orders conducted by uh, FMCSA. Yes, sir. So so essentially, I mean, you've got lots of customers who use your product, but in many ways, you've also got one customer down one channel, and that's the yeah. federal government. Is that an accurate statement? It is. It's an accurate statement, and and I think that covers parts of the puzzle. And, uh, and what it also goes along with is just the amount of time that these carriers and HR personnel or, or safety professionals are using to get a driver in a seat with driver turnover being as high as it is. I saw a carrier last week with 75 trucks, 120% turnover. They're hiring four people a month and everything from verification of employment, the drug testing, the driver qualification and fitness, everything that goes into it. I mean, how do you run a business when you're turning your employees over 120% a year? And that's what all these carriers are faced with. Well, let's talk a little bit about then. I, I'll, I'm going to admit some ignorance here about FMCSA and everything it requires from a, from a carrier to report to that agency. So take the hiring process. What does FMCSA need to know about a company's hiring process for it to be in compliance? Well, there's, <laughs> and we talk with a lot of new entrants about this, especially established drivers who are starting their own trucking company because they understand the driving piece, but they don't know what happens in the background. But there's a box that a carrier checks when they sign up for a DOT number. And it tells them that I attest that I'm going to blah, 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 legal jargon here. Basically, I'm going to follow all the rules, but the FMCSA doesn't tell them which rules apply to them or what they need to do in, in certain cases or as certain things change. The 49 CFR 391 is a massive, massive regulation and, and code section that digs pretty deep. So 
for a new driver when they get on, there's a, a massive gap between I want to hire this person and they're legally allowed to get into a truck and drive. And then you have these steps that you have to go through. I've got to get a pre-employment application. Even if it's an owner operator driving for his own business, you've got to fill out an application that has to have very specific questions asked. I've got to run an MVR on any driver's license they've held within the last number of X years. Well, how do I know how many licenses they, they've had and which ones I need to run? Well, there's a tool for that. Um, there's additional background screening that's suggested but not required. There's drug tests and queries that need to be run through the clearinghouse. Just a, a plethora of different things that they have to do, not just in onboarding, but then annually and recertifying these drivers or even every year when like a, a medical card expires. And no one really tells them what they have to do or how it changes when you go from maybe intrastate to interstate. Or maybe I'm riding a hot shot and I'm moving to a, you know, a CDL required vehicle. The whole game changes. So is, is your process, is your program, is Fleet, uh, Fleet Drive 360 being used through the hiring process? It's not just a reporting tool. It's holding your hand during the process and saying, Correct. Hey, buddy, did you do that? Did you do that? Did you do that? Exactly. It's And my, my CEO is rolling his eyes in, in the background, I'm sure. Um, I stole the Domino's pizza tracker. And, you know, my kids constantly ask me, is the pizza here yet? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? The same kind of concept for the hiring process. You've got this guy with the end goal of that pizza on the plate is the driver's butts in the seat. He's driving a vehicle. And you've got to navigate each of these steps throughout every process. And it tells you, what do I need to do? What other, you know, applications or iterations, integrations do I need to do this thing? Um, what steps do I need to do it in? And it kind of holds your hand through the whole process. But it also, you know, time, I think, is our new currency. It's the only thing that we can't get more of. The return on the time we invest in any process is what's going to separate successful companies from non-successful ones. So that's where the platform tells you when to pay attention to a compliance issue and gives you plenty of notice before it becomes a problem. So something as simple as a medical card expiring, here's what you need to do. Here's a place you can go get it done. Here's how to self-certify with the state. Now we've got an automated MVR to run in the background. Just all those things are laid out step by step for either a, uh, an admin, a safety professional, or an HR process. So this is a software package that's being used by the companies back in the office. This is not something that's being embedded into an ELD, for example. Correct. Now we talk with ELDs, and and I don't have any interest in in being an ELD. And uh, but there's data that they get that we can pull into our platform just to help make the compliance process easier. And for example, a lot of our partners are using ELDs that provide pre-trip inspection forms. So we can take that pre-trip inspection form if it identifies a safety sensitive issue and pull that into our record keeping module for vehicle maintenance. So they've got the right files in the event of an audit later on down the road. I just, I just want to say I'm glad that somebody else is looking at the Domino's pizza tracker that to make sure that the pizza is not going to be ready in 13 minutes rather than 11. You know, this is all really important, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, again, driver turnover. Now, it, it depends whether you're for hire or if you're a uh, a private fleet, but an idle asset's an idle asset. And if I don't have a driver to move that product from one part of the country to the other, that's a problem. And another easy use case, especially with private companies using brokers, is, uh, you know, I don't know who that driver is and I don't know that his documents are, are up to speed. But if my load gets picked up by a driver, he gets pulled over for a level one roadside, he doesn't have his compliance documents, that truck is sitting still. My product is not getting to Lowe's as my example, um, where for that exact same reason, I lost $3 million worth of business at a previous life because product didn't make it on time. 
Well, once again, talk about your, 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 I mean, FMCSA is not your ultimate customer, but obviously they loom in the background of everything you do. But do you provide, do you produce information sets, let's say on a driver that, you mentioned a broker, that a broker could use in determining whether they want to use this carrier, that carrier, whatever, and avoid, avoid a, a third one? Absolutely. And, uh, and we can provide even something as simple as a go, no go inside a broker's system and letting them know if the driver that they're wanting to assign to a load is compliant with, you know, current documents and, and safety regulations. What kind of trends are you seeing in compliance? Uh, when the market gets really, really strong, like 2021, is everybody just so busy chasing freight and making tons of money that maybe they let compliance slip a little bit? Or do you find that, you know, a company that's got a compliance culture is going to be good no matter what, uh, whether in good times or bad? So, I mean, what's, what's the state of compliance culture right now? It's really tough. Um, you know, a lot of people, when things are going really well, they'll throw money at the problem and outsource because they just don't have the time to deal with it. When the belt gets tightened, every dollar is looked at, every person is looked at, and some people need to wear multiple hats. Uh, I will say, especially in private fleets, the HR processes or HR team isn't really doing much in this. They're pretty much throwing their hands up and leaving it on the safety guy to deal with it, who also has warehouse safety and forklift safety and all the other things that are that are on their plate. Um, and with the four higher carriers, if they're not of a specific size, it's often an owner or an admin um, that's handling everything for that business and safety and compliance is one piece of it. And the risk, if they do screw up, is pretty significant. Um, you know, you go out of service for something small and stupid. I mean, even something like not renewing a UCR, um, that could jeopardize vendor relationships, that could jeopardize relationships with dispatch and broker. Um, you could lose long-term business, not to mention the, the you know, fines that are associated with it. Let me jump in here. What's a UCR? Uh, it's the it's it's like the tax on the King's Roads. We got to pay it every year. It expires on December thirty first. It's based off of the number of vehicles that you have. It's a unified carrier registration. Um, I don't know a better way to explain it than if you're interstate, you have to pay for it, and we don't really, uh, yeah, just leave it at that. It's the tax on the King's Roads. Okay. Whenever I, I speak with uh, companies for for joint that have a product. Uh, of course, they may always make a strong case for the product, why it's a great product, why everybody needs it, but obviously you don't have 100% penetration. And what I find out is that cost is, a, is an issue. What do you find is sort of your, I hate to say cutoff point, because that sounds a little too hard, but what is the point at which a fleet becomes kind of like too small and they start to say, you know what, we really can't handle the cost of that, we'll do it ourselves. What's it? What's kind of like the smallest size fleet you might find used? I'm sure you probably got one, some fleets that are five, uh, companies, but what's your kind of the, the the number that's mostly in your universe? Well, I mean, everybody has to pay for this. Everyone has to do this, so it's not really an option. Um, I have thousands of owner operators where it's just them and and one vehicle, and they're doing everything. And then I've got fleets as large as you know, thousand, two thousand different trucks um, and drivers on the road with multiple um, uh, distribution points and, and multiple regions they're trying to manage separately. So there's really no sweet spot. It really depends on how much money that they want to put into one platform. Um, and, and, you know, I want everyone to use my system, but more importantly, I want everyone to have a system. Having a process for record keeping and maintaining these files, whether it's me, it's another third party company or a really highly organized filing cabinet, you are going to be audited. And the future of your business is going to depend on how you do in these inspections and audits. So, you know, we made it affordable at $5 per driver per month at our base level. You can go all the way up to $30 per driver per month, all inclusive for drug and alcohol packages, everything related. 
Uh, and then there's managed services that are on top of that. The idea is you got to find a company that will work with you and your specific um, needs and can tailor their platform to fit what it is that you want them to do. Yeah, well, thank you. My next question was going to be the cost, but you answered that quite explicitly, so I appreciate that. Let's talk, talk about the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. I guess it's, what, four years old now? I'm trying to figure, remember the dates. Uh, how did that affect your business, and what kind of data are you producing that um, uh, that works into your system and give, help and, and is, is included in one of your reports? Uh, the clearinghouse made life a lot easier with respect to uh, previous employer inquiries and the amount of work that has to go into verification of employment, the consent forms required. So it did take a lot of weight off of uh, carriers. And it was, you know, three years old as of, I think, January 20th this year or so. And that's that three-year history of drug and alcohol is what you need. So that was one big benefit. Um, There's still, you know, the normal problems, the reporting issues, uh, lack of integrations that would make it easier for software. But having one place to go to query that info is a lot nicer than having to rely on other companies um, to get that info from. Okay, I'm a little bit confused about how your system, because I mean, I'm, I'm envisioning your system as pulling in actions taken by your customer, by the carrier. So how does how do these customers use the drug and alcohol clearinghouse? I'm a little, I, ca- I kind of need a, like an ankle bone connected to the shin bone type of uh, discussion here. So clearinghouse is a database. It's just a national database that every MRO, every uh, medical review officer reports a DOT drug test results to. Anytime there's an infraction, it gets logged directly from the maintenance or the medical review officer right into the clearinghouse. So if I'm looking to hire you, John, uh, to drive my CDL vehicle, FMCSA says I need to check in your drug and alcohol history for the last three years. I just go into the clearinghouse. I run a report. You consent to that report. I get that full three-year history and make sure that you're not prohibited from driving. That's really all it is. It just comes back and says driver not prohibited. Right, so your software system pulls from the pulls from the clearinghouse data and then your carrier can use that data to find out if a certain driver's okay. In, in a way, yes. Right, okay. All right, let's talk about the uh, CSA score system. FMCSA is looking at overhauling its CSA score system. Is your company just an observer there in the sense that you have no particular opinions, but maybe you're going to need to retool your software to, to work with the changes, or do you have strong views on what needs to be done with the CSA system? I'm a rather opinionated person, so <laughs> strong views. Yeah, I've, I've got them. Um, I, I'll speak for the business and just say that, uh, you know, we're focused on the Code of Federal Regulations and what the FMCSA tells carriers they have to do. Um, whether I like it or don't like it doesn't matter. If the government is telling a carrier they're they're accountable to it, then we need to provide a method for them to keep those records, maintain those files, and automate any workflow where possible. So, my strongest opinion is on making life easier for the carriers while maintaining good safety out on the road. Um, one of the the downsides for you know CSA scores is, especially for newer carriers, you know one infraction, one mistake, one problem, and uh, and they can have a hard time getting loads. They can have a hard time working with brokers. It can have a very detrimental impact on their business. There are bad actors that need to be kept out of the market because they're not following safety processes. But I hate that. Um, and I won't say unfairly penalized, but I'll say that people can be severely penalized, um, maybe more so than necessary at times through the current scoring systems uh, and the way that they work. Right, well, what are, what are some of the issues you, you know, we'll, we'll ask you to put on your opinion in your hat now. And talk about what are some of the issues in the CSA system that you think maybe need fixing. I mean, I would put it this way. I get a lot of requests and questions about how a company can improve their CSA score. 
And the really only easy answer is more clean inspections. It is really the only the only method. Yeah, there's a way to go back and fight um, few data queue if you've got you know any any issues that you want to address. Um, but I think a clearer pathway for carriers outside of just more clean inspections on what they can do to improve that safety score and take more control of their business, uh, I think would be important. Um, and really, I want to know what levers, as a business owner, if I was running a carrier, I want to know what levers I have to pull in order to improve each aspect of my business. And I don't think that that's very clear for carriers out there on how they can make things better. Okay. Uh, how closely do you work with FMCSC? Are you in regular contact with them? Uh, do you have any views on uh, Robin Hutchison, the, the the newly appointed administrator? Uh, no, I don't have any any you know views on a specific administrator or anyone brought in. Um, we pay very close attention. We work with a number of FMCSA officers or retired officers. Uh, we're constantly paying attention to new things that are coming in, new regulations that we need to be paying attention to. Um, you know, the conversation about marijuana is is one that really sticks in your mind is you wonder what's going to happen between state and federal regulations. And it's easy right now. It's illegal on a federal level. Therefore, I don't have to care because it's FMCSA is a federal agency. But um, so you, you always wonder with new appointments coming in um, if it's going to change anything major like that and what that may do to us from a regulatory and compliance standpoint. But outside of it, we're just paying very close attention to the decisions that they make, the regulations that they're enforcing, and how we need to support our clients. I mean, have you seen any big changes in the last year or two? I, we've had a the face. We've had a run of administrators, uh, including, including one who never really even. Well, I guess she took the job on a on a temporary basis uh, before heading back to New York City. Uh, that it, has that kind of volatility in the the big chair at FMCSA hurt you? Has it made it life more difficult? <laughs> um. I mean, it's government, right? They, they don't do anything quickly. So we generally have time to plan and we generally have time to, to work with the software ahead of time uh, to make sure that we're able to respond. We've also got a lot of developers that can respond really quickly if something hits us out of the blue. I think the clearinghouse um, going full-time, having the full three years of data has been the biggest change and shift in what we had to do and carriers had to do in the last, you know, recent memory, that was just about nine months ago to the day. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think some of the reporting things that we're providing, some of the, you know, focus on, on video evidence to avoid nuclear verdicts and, you know, recommending training classes and, and document um, management regarding conversations with drivers and corrective actions and training courses they've been in to avoid nuclear verdicts. Just, just the litigation side has really increased. Um, but I don't know that that's a function of, of new leadership at the FMCSA as it is attorneys. Yeah, so then attorneys use your data, I would assume, right? Because it's a good record of whether a company has complied with the law, correct? Well, we don't provide we don't provide data to attorneys. Um, we provide the data that a carrier would use when responding to an audit or any type of situation like that. So they generally get a letter in the mail and say, we need the following documents uploaded to this portal by this date. And then otherwise, we may have an in-person inspection or in-person audit. Um, so all of our stuff is focused on what specifically the government's asking for, giving it to them in a very organized, clean format, only the data they're asking for. So they can take a look at it. Yep, all the stuff's here. Yes, they have a system. Yes, is it in order? Okay, move on to the next one. Um, so it's kind of our focus in that process. Do you come to an in-person audit? We can. Okay. I, didn't know uh, I have not personally done such of a thing. Um, we do have a network of partners, including some attorneys that are focused in the DOT and FMCSA space that we would recommend um, should there be a high-risk audit. 
we often do provide audit support and we'll help our carriers download their documents, organize their files. Um, a lot of times we get brought in when they have already gotten the audit letter and they say, we didn't know we had to do all this stuff. Help me figure out where I am. And that's where the platform, like you upload everything in there and you've got your little pizza tracker and you immediately know, oh, that thing's yellow, that thing's red. I should do something about that. That's where we really get involved. All right. Let me ask you one final question because we're running out of time here. How often does the company get audited? Is it that can a company skate by and not hear from FMCA say for years and then another company draws a short straw and maybe gets looked at on a more frequent basis? There's a portion of that. So, I mean, and one thing, any new company that starts a new DOT number enters into the new entrant safety program and they will be audited in their first year, usually about eight months in. So that's a guaranteed it's going to happen every time. Um, outside of that, if you're operating cleanly with clean inspections and no violations, it's like the IRS, right? If you're on their radar, there's a higher likelihood that you're going to be audited. If you're completely off their radar, you're running clean, you've got great scores, your vehicle maintenance is in line. Um, you may or may not ever get picked. All right. And when they get picked, hopefully they'll have data from Fleet Drive 360, correct? Hey, us, and you know, again, I don't, I didn't come on this, this, you know, show to, to really push our product. I appreciate the opportunity to speak about it. But if, if I could leave anything as a message is you have to have a system. You can't just wing it because one small mistake or error or omission can cost you your business or at least shut you down and cost you your relationship. So if it's not my platform, get somewhere that you have an organized file keeping and record keeping system and someone to tell you about something like a medical card expiring before it happens. I think that message came through today. Thank you. Nick Salas, the COO of Fleet Drive 360, a software suite used for meeting all these various compliance requirements of the FMCSA. Nick, thanks for joining us on Drilling Deep. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. You have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts for FreightWaves. You can see us on all the leading podcast platforms. And if you're watching this video, that means you're watching us on YouTube because that's where we are. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.